0: You're listening to SoCal Live with Scott Furrow on
1: 99.5 KKLA. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, and boys and girls. Welcome to Southern California Live. I'm Scott Furrow, your host. It's great to be with you on this fabulous afternoon. Always good to be with you on our program. We Today, in this hour, we're going to talk about families and the different kinds of families that are out there. And we have a special guest with us, Stephen Arterburn, who is the founder and chairman of New Life Ministries and host of the number one nationally syndicated Christian counseling talk show, New Life Live. Uh, Stephen, welcome to Southern California Live. How are
2: you? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on, Scott. Um, Really appreciate what you do and the attitude with which you do it with. Oh, well, thank you very much. Are you Steve or Steven? Both. Uh, when my wife is angry, I'm Steven. Uh, the other times, it's Steve. All right, very good. Yeah, I thought Steve, and then uh, your book
1: is Stevens. So that's your, your official name. Did your wife say you have to be Steven on the book?
2: Uh, she has said, yes, please do that.
1: Yes, I understand that um, very much. My wife will just uh, include my first, middle, and last name uh, whenever there's an issue, because you can't really be a Scotfan. There's no other no. Know, thing. Or you could drop a T, but By no way, one would know.
2: I, I, can, I made a confession to my wife last week that I had lied on our taxes because um, the IRS form, well, it said head of household, and I told her I put my name. And so I just felt better having confessed that to her. And it's important that we be open and honest with anything that we do. So
1: Right, and especially with the uh, IRS, who might be checking in on your family, listening to your phone calls. Who knows? Never know. Yeah, all right. Never well, never thank know. you. Thank you for uh, being with us. Hey, You know, you have been uh, talking with families and working in ministry for quite a long time now, and you've got two new books that are coming out. That I like what you're doing here because we have to address the way the family is today. Your two books are Understanding and Loving Your Bonus Child and Understanding and Loving Your Child as a Single Parent. And, um, you know, what has led you to write these books now?
2: Well, um, I had been married 20 years and my wife was unfaithful and I, and then she divorced me. So, uh, there I was, and uh, uh, traumatized, and just didn't know what to do, but I was a single parent. And then, um, almost four years later, I married, and the woman I married, uh, we've been married uh, almost 18 years now, she had two boys and I had a girl, Madeline. And so I went to the boys and I said, uh, I don't want to be Stepdad, you have a dad, uh, and step parenting sounds like you're gonna step on me or step away. Mm. But I want to be your bonus parent, and so I just did the opposite of what I saw other guys doing, and I went into the marriage like a benevolent uncle versus you're gonna you know demanding respect. I tried to earn their respect, and rather than being the authoritarian disciplinarian. Well, I didn't know them very well. How how can somebody just walk into a child's life and, and start disciplining or declare authority? So my wife was the disciplinarian and the authority for them until I had earned that. And it just became a natural thing. And uh, when I was single, I, I didn't have, you know, Madeline lived with me. I was the primary parent. Mm. So I, brought women into her life six specifically to provide for her what a guy like me couldn't and she really has turned out to be one of the most remarkable uh, people in the world and and so I just tried to take from my own experience of being thrown into this uh, single parenting and then being married blending a family uh, I tried to the things that worked, I, and I've confessed enough of things that haven't worked for me and, mm-hmm. you know, need to learn from others' mistakes, but many times I've chosen to be the others that people learn from, and this was different. These were some things that went well, and I've shared them in both of these books.
1: Do you feel like the uh, church is behind maybe in updating how we teach parenting um, in our in our churches with, what, maybe half of our congregations are have been divorced, or maybe it's 35%, I think, from first marriage, and a lot of mixed families, and mixed families, um, a lot of single parents and a lot of mixed families, and not just because of divorce and remarriage, but there are families that are different because of different religions that maybe mom and dad has. Uh, there's a lot yeah. of ways that uh, we're different. How are we doing?
2: Well, you know, most blended families statistically don't stay together. That's right. Um, and so we're doing something that's not exactly right. And so it begins with and I talk about this in the book. It, it begins with not being desperate when you're desperate. Then you do desperate things. And like when I met my wife and eventually came uh, to Indy and and saw her and her boys and where they lived, you know, she was an accountant and she would found a way to buy a little house and and the, before they were seven, she'd read the Discovery Bible and the Car- Chronicles of Narnia, and I just saw that, and I thought, well, man, uh, that's an amazing parent. Mm. I'd want her to be parent of my daughter. And there was no, no sense of she's got to get married to survive or anything like that. So that's the first thing that you want to do is not be desperate and do desperate things. Right. And then, you know, you you have to be a person of integrity and have standards. I, you know, having written Every Man's Battle, I thought it might be a really good idea not to have sex with her right. before we got married. So, but now that has impacted our whole marriage. She looks back on that time and she says, I'm her post that, you know, that I wasn't pressuring her mm-hmm. to do something, that I did have the ability to restrain and and to, to be committed. And so that has been a, a really big positive from the beginning. So, you know, God is really smart, and when He gives us things to stay away from, there's a reason. And when we do, there's a tremendous benefit. But I really believe if you're a single parent, uh, this this book is going to really bless you. And if you're thinking about blending your family, or you are already a step parent. This idea of bonus parenting can start at any time. You can say to your kids, wow, I've really kind of messed this up with some old thinking here. I I need a redo, and here's what I'm going to try to do, because I want you to uh, know I love you, and then I want to earn your respect, which you know maybe I've been demanding some things that I needed to earn. I think that
1: that's a great point, because I think that we – find ourselves maybe we've gone down the road in a relationship with our kids or our spouse, and then we realize oh I should have been doing things you know differently, and we don't realize that we can do that redo uh, I think that's an important right. thing that that today if you're hearing this and you're thinking well I need to do this different well you can you uh you talk about negative self talk what are some of the things that um a um, A bonus parent, as you put it, um, or a single parent might do that it's negative self-talk that we need to get away from?
2: Well, if you've been through a divorce, uh, you need to at least go through divorce care, and and you need to deal with the shame that comes with it, because you are an outcast. You go from all these wonderful things for couples to, okay, um, here I am by myself. Fortunately for me, uh, I had some people that really cared about me, and so they didn't want me to get weird. So every Sunday night, we would have couples and Steve, and you know, it was kind of, <laughs> kind of humiliating, right? but it was so great. We'd say, you're going to couples and Steve, and yeah, and so I had connection, a healthy connection. I wasn't just left out there on my own. So you you really need to, to find the place where you can heal and find the place where people love you and care about you and want to put into your life and help you at really one of the greatest times where you need help. And that help is getting rid of the shame that causes all of this negative self-talk, which causes compensatory, compensatory behavior. You're trying to compensate mm-hmm. for the crummy stuff you feel about yourself. So you want to control more. You're more angry. You're depressed. And it impacts the people around you. So dump the shame, find a way to tap in to this God who is the God of mercy and And, grace.
1: And this is a very important uh, subject, I think, for any parent, whatever your situation is, that the conversation you're having with yourself in your head can get in the way of being a good parent.
2: Yes, and I want to make this point. Not all of our kids stick with our values. Uh, I mean, everything on the Internet says parents are stupid, and and everything at school says, you know, the school's promoting values we don't like while not even supporting the values we do like. And so you have a lot of kids that, you know, have rejected everything. Well, one of the things that parents have to do as Christians when you've got a rebellious child, you have to sacrifice teachable moments, which is what all Christian parents think. Is what we need to be doing. Well, at eight years of age, you need to be having those teachable moments. Right. But every time a 15-year-old who's rejected all you believe, you come in and tell them what you believe again, they're going to think, well, no wonder uh, I don't like my parents. You know, they're just giving me more reason to be against them versus you come in, you don't teach, you listen, try Mm. to understand. Let them know I love you no matter what. You're going to go down this path, I'm going with you. I'm not going to sit on the sideline. You do this, I'm there with you. Um, Those kinds of things versus, okay, I need to tell them what the truth is that I know. It's just not the right time. Yeah, I think there's
1: there's some discipline to that because I think we just want to, you know, as a parent, and my kids are 13 and 10. And, you know, sometimes you go, I've told you this 100 times. Let me tell you 101. Yeah. And I expect. I guess I expect. I don't really expect, but I think that maybe I think maybe this time it'll stick, and they'll go, "Oh, you're right, you're right, Dad. No wonder." And it doesn't but work
2: to say, that way. Yeah, but to say, uh, you know, I've told you this a hundred times. Help me understand what that causes in you. What What do you feel about that? Why is this difficult? Help me. And you might, you might hear that you know it's the wrong color or something like that. Uh, you just never know. Yeah. But it, but you won't know if you're more interested in your wonderful lecture than in winning the heart of that child and trying to connect with their heart.
1: That's right. You're listening to Southern California Live. I'm Scott Furrow, your host. My guest is Steve Arterburn. He is the author of Understanding and Loving Your Bonus Child and Understanding and Loving Your Child as a Single Parent. He is the founder and chairman of New Life Ministries, and you hear him regularly on this station on the radio. Steve... um, yeah, we we talk a lot on our program too about how it's hard being a kid in today's world. What what is what is most important about being a kid today that we can provide for our kids in um, uh, as far as just being a kid? How can we let them be a kid for as long as it's possible?
2: Well, you know, it's really hard for them to be a healthy kid if so much of their time is spent online and with mm. social media. And so we need to be sure that we are taking time to download love to them, eyeball to eyeball, not just saying, well, you know, every kid needs to spend hours and hours online. We're just going to let our kids do that. We give our kids two hours a day to be online, um, you know, doing communicating, texting, friends, things like that. There's some other things they can do outside of that. A little bit but we're pretty restrictive on all of that because we've seen the damage that can be done the other thing is you've got to find some ways to get with those kids and play with those kids no matter what age they are do some things that they enjoy doing which means you have to give up some of the things you would rather be doing Mm. but it's an investment that you'll never regret making when you don't do your thing and you go do and connect with them over something they love. What are some uh, practical
1: methods that parents can use to connect with uh, their bonus children? That's your stepchildren, but you call them bonus children. Mm-hmm. Is that a right. is that a a term that we're supposed to use, or is that a Steve term that you've come up with?
2: Well, I think it's a Steve term that I hope a lot of people will start to use. I like it. It just gives you it gives you an attitude of positive influence and impact on kids versus kind of a second class something or other. So wow. I, I really like it, but the best thing I think you can do is to do things that they like, listen to them while they're doing them. Don't be demanding, but try to, uh, be with them, invite them into your life. You know, my, uh, my bonus sons had two, when we married, um, They're blessings to me. It's not like, oh, well, they came with the the marriage. I tell you, I I wouldn't trade them for anything. They are the blessings of my life. But that wasn't easy to get there. And so any kind of time you're investing, listening, loving, playing with, being with your bonus kids, that I believe is going to pay off tenfold down the way, especially when they get in trouble they need you and you're safe and they come mm-hmm. to you uh it just it makes all the difference in the world
1: now what would you say for the single parent who you know when you're talking about being a bonus parent there's another parent around who might be able to take you know you know do the the work around the house or take one of the other kids away so you get some quality time with one kid and you're a single parent and I'm you know if you if you're hearing this and you're a single parent what are some of the things that you can do as a single parent to connect with your kids when you don't have that other parent around to, uh, to help?
2: Well, I think, um, single parenting is just extremely difficult. We know that because parenting with somebody is extremely difficult, but what you have to do is be open and honest to your kids. You have to say, I, uh, had to deal with something at work that took everything out of me. So I need a couple hours and then I want to spend time with you. That's so much better than being around them with a bad attitude or whatever you have. And so you need to be honest with them. Take some time if you need it rather than impact them in a negative way. Mm -hmm. But the other thing is you must take care of yourself. You know, I tell people they need to go to counseling. I go to counseling. My wife and I will be in marriage counseling. We go every week. And because we do, our marriage gets better and better. I tell people we have an amazing marriage at least 51% of the time. But (laughs) it is a good marriage, not because we figured it out, but we're still working on it. We don't want to miss what it can be. And so as a single parent, you need support. You need to be in a support group or a Bible study where other people are open to hearing what you're saying, and they want to help you. With whatever struggle you're going through, yeah. counseling, uh, groups, Bible studies, connection—those are the things that help us do well in tough situations like being a single parent.
1: And I think we can, we should be encouraged by that because we're we're at a time where the COVID brought us away from people, and we're yeah. we're watching church on TV, and people are more isolated now, and and in some ways happy about it, but. We need to encourage people to get back into a good church where you have that kind of community. It helps.
2: Oh, yes. And there is nothing that replaces showing up right. at a church and connecting eyeball to eyeball with other people. And you just, you may be uncomfortable or whatever. You need to do it. I went to uh, Austria to watch my oldest daughter play soccer. I took my youngest daughter and I. Got COVID on this trip, and I got to tell you, it was you know it was less than a cold. It just wasn't, and I think you know that in this day and age, we're not seeing everybody go to the hospital and almost die. It's a different thing. So maybe you're afraid of COVID, but maybe it's not what it used to be, and you can stay safe. But you need to show up. You need to be there. Um, it the virtual thing, great. We had it when we needed it. But if at all possible, you know, the Bible's really clear. Don't forsake the gathering together mm. of, of yourselves with other folks. And so you need to get with other people if at all possible.
1: And showing up matters in so many ways. You're just present and your kids see it. They may not be uh, giving you a report card, but they see that you're present and they see where you go and why, and they are learning from all of that behavior.
2: Right. And, you know, people tell me all the time, my kids don't listen. Mm-hmm. Well, they may not listen, but they're watching yep. everything.
1: Yes, they and are. And that's
2: what speaks to them. And so go to church. Show them that you are faithful, that you do things scared <laughs> rather than not do them. And that will have the, a tremendous impact on their lives. Yeah.
1: My guest is Steve Arterburn, and he is the author of two new books, Understanding and Loving Your Bonus Child and Understanding and Loving Your Child as a Single parent. And also, Steve, you are the founder and chairman of New Life Ministries. Where can uh, a listener go to learn more about New Life Ministries and uh, uh, what else you, you do?
2: Well, um, back when 800 numbers and .com started, I beat all the other churches, New Life churches, and vitamin New Life vitamin companies. And it's real easy, 1-800-NEW-LIFE and newlife.com. If you need any help, we, we've we got people that woke up this morning. They want to help you. We've got resources, workshops, um, counselors, coaches all over the country. We really do love helping people, and we have the great joy of watching transformation take place. And that doesn't just take place for special people. It takes place for anybody that's willing to ask for help.
1: And so people can go right now to newlife.com. And yes. uh, there's all kinds of great content on there. It also has your radio schedule and uh, several other ways that people can connect. And so I want to encourage everybody to go to newlife.com, make a note of that, and learn more about New Life Ministries. And where can we get your books? And when are they available?
2: Well, the Amazon or NewLife, newlife.com. Uh, everywhere else, you get books there, right there.
1: All right. Steve, thank you so much for joining us today. And uh, is there anything else you want to leave us with, a, a bit of wisdom, um, a a thing that you want to leave with the Southern California audience?
2: Well, I can give you some Texas will you, wisdom, and, and that is something that stuck with me from my granddad. If the horse is dead, get off. And so, <laughs> you know, you can try to get comfortable in a dead horse, beat a dead horse. Look, if what you've been trying isn't working, how about we try something different?
1: All right. I think that's really good. Steve, thanks for joining me today on Southern California Live. Thank you, and uh, hope to see you next time. All right. My guest has been Stephen Arterburn. He is the author of Understanding and Loving Your Bonus Child and Understanding and Loving Your Child as a Single Parent. He also is the founder and chairman of New Life Ministries and the host of the number one nationally syndicated Christian counseling talk show, New Life Live, which you can hear right here on this station. We'll be back on Southern California Live. I'm Scott Furrow. We'll be back in just a few moments. Don't go away.
2: This is SoCal Live with Scott Furrow, on
1: 99.5 KKLA. Welcome back, everybody. Southern California Live. Good to be with you again. Scott Furrow here. Monday afternoon. And, um, you know, I got I thought I'd bring this up. We were talking about uh, kids and raising kids. I read an article in the LA Times today that it just bothered me a little bit. and And it's because of the things that kids worry about. Do you worry? When you were a kid, especially, I mean, I know as an adult, maybe you worry. But do you worry about stuff? Uh, Did you worry a lot as a kid? I did. I worried a lot and I didn't share a lot. If I was bothered by something, I didn't really say much about it. I didn't uh, tell my parents uh, most of the time. I just kind of buried it. And some of the stuff I worried about, you know, was just so far off into the future. You know, I'm I'm 10 years old and wondering if I'm going to get married and making plans to get married when I get out of college or those kinds of things. And that's kind of ridiculous, right? Uh, I think we think about that maybe as a kid. Maybe I maybe we don't. But I'm wondering if today there are things that we're doing that worry our kids more. There's some things that I, I thank my parents for today that I didn't, you know, I would have never known. And it's because I didn't know. I I was a small child at the end of the Vietnam War. There must have been, even though we only had three lousy channels, there must have been news about it on the TV. And they must have been watching it at some point. There was the Nixon resignation and there are other things going on that my parents, I don't know, I don't have any memory of it. And I think that's good that I don't, um, that it was all history to me. And when I think about my kids, right now they're at an age where I want them to start to pay attention, my 13-year-old especially. I'm hoping that he is watching the news with interest, That he, and he is, he's asking, asking really good questions. My 10-year-old's asking really good questions. I still kind of wonder, you know, how much do you should you be thinking about? Well, there was an article in the LA Times today about children who are terrorized by climate change and the coming catastrophes that they're hearing about. And I thought, why are we doing that? to kids. It's not that we don't want people to care about the environment or stuff, but you know the the calamities that we are talking about, most of them if you get into the science are decades or centuries away. And it isn't that there aren't things that, you know, maybe could be done if if human beings are causing climate change, well then we should be looking at that, right? We should definitely be regardless of that, we should care about the environment, we should care about air quality, we should care about recycling and the landfills and what we're putting in them, all of those things, I think that's fine. But we have this great command from Christ to not worry. And the reason we don't worry, and it's hard because I I, I get it, I'm a worrier. I know that some of you have tremendous anxiety, though. And for the believer, what we're called to do is cast those anxieties upon the Lord. Jesus told us in Matthew, therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? You know, One of the things I'd point out here is that people obviously worried back then. Jesus is not just saying something where he has to tell the people there, hey, don't worry about you. Know, what I'm about to say. You're going to wonder why I'm talking about this, because nobody has any worries, right? But uh, 2,000 years from now, there's going to be a bunch of people who are going to worry. No, he, people have always worried. But I love this line here. Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? You know, studies show that you might be taking off time of your life. It keeps you up at night. It causes you know we do different things some people deal with their worry with alcohol or eating too much or they don't exercise or you just bury yourself into a, a video game or some show on uh, that you can stream and watch 14 episodes you know and that thing keeps coming on that asks you if you're still walking or watching uh, you may not be walking because you've been sitting on the couch for so long you can't get up uh, if you see that you've probably watched too many episodes of that program it's time to do something else and I'm guilty of that occasionally, although it's been a long time since I've seen that. I've got other things to do. Jesus continues, and why do you worry about your clothes? see how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. John, John came home from Sunday school on Sunday, and apparently they talked about Solomon, except he was calling him Solomon. Yes, what did you learn today? Oh, we talked about Solomon. Oh, okay. Uh, maybe that's how you say it. Maybe that's a better way to say it. Um, verse 30, if that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, ye of little faith? I almost said ye of little faith, which is the same. So do not worry saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all of these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Do you worry? There's two things in here to think about. And then I want to I help you by reading this article maybe. I don't know if it's going to help or just it kind of infuriates me. But to be thinking about our kids and helping them not worry. But what you have to do as a believer is make sure that they are casting their worries on Jesus. Okay. Cause it's not enough just to say, well, don't worry. When they have a bunch of stuff that either for rational reasons they realize they should worry about, or maybe it's just they just have a, you know, stuff going on where they worry, you got to give them a reason. Can any of one of you, uh, can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And then Jesus says, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well, the things that you need in life. And don't worry about tomorrow. See, when we think about God's kingdom, it puts everything in perspective, the things that we're worried about. And the article is about climate change, okay? It's, it said in the LA Times today, facing extreme heat, this is the, the headline, facing extreme heat and drought, young Californians cope to beat climate anxiety and doom that's the the headline facing extreme heat and doubt young Californians cope to beat climate anxiety and doom and it begins this year this way when he was six years old six Sim Bilal began to have nightmares of floods pouring through his South Los Angeles home I probably had nightmares about things when I was six these bad dreams started when he first watched Al Gore's An Inconvenient Truth, a seminal documentary about human-driven global warming with his parents. For years, he struggled with severe anxiety over the fate of the planet. He's 6, 6 years old. I why no, why is anybody watching that movie today anyway? There are if you're going all oh, here you, no, there are things in that movie, the snow's gone on Kilimanjaro. No, it's not most of the uh the predictions in that movie are wrong there are some there are lots of websites that are kind of dedicated to what that movie might have got right and wrong and what they'll basically say if they're in favor of it is basically that the science generally speaking hasn't changed that we're still dealing with climate change and whatever okay but that that program basically said the world be over by now you know not exactly but close that Florida would be underwater, San Francisco Bay was going to overflow, which might be good for San Francisco, clean up the streets a little bit. But uh, see, there's, it's just not always bad. But I'm wondering, why are we showing our six-year-old this? Our parents today scaring their children with what might happen? Maybe it's just because I'm a little bit older now and, you know, I've got little kids. But There's always something that might happen. We always might be going to war. We always are dealing with economic problems and recessions come and go. And we've seen inflation before. We have been threatened with nuclear weapons before, threat of war, threat of war with Russia, war with China. That's always there. And it isn't that we ignore it, but we aren't to worry and this person who was six years old when he watched that movie, I guess, had nightmares because of the water flowing into Florida and San Francisco. Over, And if you watch that, there's always there's this graphic of it happening, like all of a sudden, like big tidal waves. And there was some movie. Wasn't there some movie that that happens like this big tidal wave crashes into New York or something all of a sudden? That's not even what the climate models, if you are following all that, even say. They're talking about decades, even centuries of time, an inch at a time. The water's just slowly, you know, uh, filling up. That's what those are about. My, my point isn't even to get into the climate change thing. It's to, to talk about kids and worry. It reminded me of a movie, one of my favorite movies. You might agree or disagree, but one of my favorite movies ever is Interstellar. I got a lot to say about that movie sometime. But uh, did you watch that? It's one of those movies that you either love it or you hate it. It seems like you either think this is the greatest movie ever or you're like, I didn't get it. What, what was that movie about? I love this movie. Uh, it is not my wife's favorite movie and you know so it's not one that we very easily would recommend to people as a couple but uh, i recommend it but i i get into movies with the messages in there and things like that well there's the the point of the movie is that earth is being destroyed and uh What's being, what's happening? It's environmental. What's going on? Although it's none of the global warming stuff, which is really interesting. It's something completely different. Uh, that it, and the movie is controversial because some people think Christopher Nolan is making a a statement saying that we're worried about stuff that isn't going to happen, but later there might be something happens. Anyway, there the Earth is being destroyed, and the whole idea is people are going to leave the Earth and go to some other solar system. And there's a whole science science fiction way that that's going to happen. Well, part of it is there's a guy, Matthew McConaughey, that's not his name in the movie. His name is Cooper in the movie. People, you know, Actors, they usually change their name for roles. Did you notice that? He plays a father who has to leave his daughter behind. That's the part that my wife struggles with. And they go to a different solar system. Okay, it happens through a wormhole and there's all, all this gets explained in the movie. And he goes there and... They're dealing with relativity. So what happens is – and it gets complicated. But the idea is that if you're traveling somewhere at the speed of light or you get somewhere near a black hole, time for you stays the same. But time in other parts of the solar system goes faster. So there's a scene where they go to this planet and for every hour they're there, it's something like seven, seven years on Earth. So there's, there's a race to save the planet. And they have to find a new place for us to go, but get back in time before everybody dies on Earth. Okay, that's that's the idea. He's got a little girl who's getting much older than he is, and they're dealing with that and i'm going to take a break and i'll finish this point when we get back and i'll play a clip from that movie that i think says something about our kids a little bit and maybe we should think about it particularly as we're getting into school and they're going to be hearing about all the scary things in this world maybe with what's going on in school i don't know what they're teaching young people do we show this movie or movies like it where we show you know los angeles getting you know flooded out by uh global warming because dad fills up his tank with gas and you know i don't know you're listening to Southern California Live. I'm Scott Furrow, your host. I'll be back when the Monday condition of uh, condition, the Monday edition or condition, the Monday condition of this show continues. Stay tuned.
2: You're listening to SoCal
1: Live with Scott Furrow on 99.5 KKLA. Welcome back, everybody. Scott Furrow here. Monday edition of Southern California Live. Always good to be with you. You can always email me, by the way. The email address to reach me is SoCalLive at KKLA.com. SoCalLive at KKLA.com. So before the break, I was talking about kids. And the kids have been on my mind because I have kids. But also it's going back to school time. So we're going to be doing some interviews and some subjects about our kids and going back to school. We did it earlier this hour with Steve Arterburn and uh, his books about kids. And you can always get the podcast, by the way, if you ever miss an hour of our program, go to kkla.com, search for the program guide. You'll find this show. The podcast is right on there. You can subscribe or listen right from the website or from your favorite radio app, Southern California Live. So in the LA Times today is an article with the headline, Facing Extreme Heat and Drought, Young Californians Cope to Beat Climate Anxiety and Doom. And I guess I have this question. Do you have climate anxiety and doom? I just don't you know i care i don't know how much i agree with you know how much human beings are causing it but i you know I, it seems to me that throwing stuff into the air is not good whether that is affecting the environment or not i would love to have that out of the air great let's figure that out let's spend some time dealing with solar energy let's figure out there's got to be some ways I'm, I'm happy with all of that i don't want to get into the politics of the climate change my point here though is are we supposed to be frightening our kids because this article begins with a six year old who they showed, who when, I guess when he was about six, this movie was probably out. Al Gore's in- An Inconvenient Truth movie. He got an Oscar for that. Al Gore did. Uh, all these years later, you know, the idea is, you know, we're still talking about the same thing, but he said we only have about 10 years left uh, before it's too late to do anything in that movie. Uh, that Mount Kilimanjaro will have no snow on it, which is not true. Most of the, you know, and this is one of the things, like if you're, you know, into anything actually. It is the the hyperbole predictions, the doomsday predictions that when they don't come true, they discredit the whole argument. You know, if you're wondering, you know, everybody was gonna die of COVID. Remember that in Florida and Texas because they didn't have masks on? Well their rates are the same as everybody else. And that you know, and maybe we should be more concerned, but we're not because Of those kinds of predictions, I think. All right. So anyway, I'm worried about the six-year-old who's having nightmares, according to this article, because of that movie. And before the break, I was telling you about the movie Interstellar, and there's a scene in it where they are trying to save the planet. That is the goal of Matthew McConaughey and his cast, as they are trying to save the planet. And he is asked by Anne Hathaway, I think is the actress's name, who... In the movie goes by a different name also she does the same thing in movies how about that um you know and he's he's worried because of relativity because he's going to age slower than his daughter that they may not get back in time for her to even still be alive on earth and they've had an accident happen that's kind of the the scene here and she asks him you know she asks him did you not explain this trip to your daughter who's 10 And he said, well, I didn't have time to explain Einstein's theories to a 10-year-old before I left. And then she says this.
0: Couldn't you have told her you were going to save the world? No.
2: When you become a parent, one thing comes really clear. And I said, you want to make sure your children feel safe. And it rules out, down a 10-year-old, the world ended. it.
1: See, I like that. There's a whole lot of lines in that movie I like. But, you know, we don't need to tell our 10-year-old that the the world is ending. You know, we can tell him to recycle. And we can tell him that, hey, there's a lot of great opportunity to not pollute. And we can talk about those kinds of things. Um, but all the, the, the world's ending. It's always ending, right? Last one, it was uh, everyone was telling us we only have 12 years left. That clock never starts, though. It never goes down. It's always we got 10 years, we got 12 years but 5 years later we still have 12 years and that it, it just starts to discredit all of that the a study published in the lancet according to this article surveyed 10,000 people from 10 different countries between the ages of 16 and 25 and found that 59% of respondents reported feeling very or extremely worried about climate change is that true are you if you're between those ages i'd love to hear from you if you're you know 16 and 25 or younger are you extremely worried about climate change? Like like you are having anxiety at night. You can't sleep at night because of climate change. 84% were at least moderately worried. I'm not telling you not to care. I'm just wondering is this so debilitating as they say? I just I'm not hearing this from people. So I read articles like this with some skepticism, especially when it's talking about a 6-year-old watching the Al Gore movie, which I have skepticism about. I would have more, except that when I was three, I watched Jaws. Uh, my parents took me to Jaws. It was at a drive-in. And I remember I was in the backseat screaming and yelling, and my mother kept pushing my head down <laughs> behind. So it maybe parents did show, a, you know, maybe they didn't realize that that would be scary. That's probably that's probably right, right? If you're a parent, you're going, well, the six-year-old's in the room. He's going to play with his Legos. And uh, we'll watch the Al Gore movie and didn't realize it was going to be terrorizing. That That might be more real. But anyway... He's 20 now, the same guy, and he's still debilitated by the fear of it. And what I and he's talking about how he's and other young people are seeking therapy. Are you getting therapy over climate change? Is this a a regular thing? Um, And there's a whole crop of specialists who are dealing with climate change, environmental fears. You know, if this is a thing, we, we should talk about it. You know, how do we help people? Not worry as much about this. One of the things in the article that I thought was kind of interesting is that it also said uh, uh, that the young people now are are organizing and rising up uh, to yell at the older people for not worrying about climate change, which I think is like six-year-olds or six-year-olds organizing to do this. It obviously means younger people who are older, but when I first read it on six-year-olds, if I was organizing something as a six-year-old, it would be to bring down the cost of Legos. Because every time I went to the supermarket, I would say, can I get these Legos? And mom would say, no. And I'd say, why? And she'd say, they're too expensive. And uh, that's what I tell my kids. Can I get these Legos? No. Why? Because they're a million dollars. That's why. Well, you know, it's almost cheaper to to go to Legoland and look at the Legos than it is to actually buy them uh, today. The article ends and it talks about the distress. Distress appears to be greater when young people believe that the government response is inadequate. Uh, which they could probably learn, the government response is usually inadequate, which leads us to argue that the failure of governments to adequately reduce, prevent, or mitigate climate change is contributing to psychological distress, moral injury, and injustice. Climate anxiety must not constitute uh, might not might not constitute a mental illness, but the realities of climate change alongside governmental failures to act are chronic long term and potentially Inescapable stressors. Now I know that today the uh our Congress is uh congratulating itself over acting on climate change. Uh they're giving you a lot of incentives to buy a seventy-five thousand dollar electric car. But uh, you know, I'd like a car, I'd like seventy-five thousand dollars to do it, I guess. Can I just tell you this, with your kids, whatever you think about these issues, just be careful. Be careful with what comes on the TV. Be careful with even the news that you're watching. You know, I find myself having to turn it off. My kids are old enough now where I worry less about it, but I just couldn't do it around my kids because I don't, it's not that I don't want them to know stuff. I want them to have a childhood. I want them to realize, you know what, there are dangers in this world. You know, don't talk to strangers and don't take candy from people that you don't know. And, and, you know, all of those things, you know, those kinds of warnings I want to give them. But the big world stuff, the stuff we don't know enough about or that we can't do anything or that they can't do anything about, I just want them to enjoy their life in the safety that the best safety, safe environment that I can give them. And if your kid is worried about, especially if they're younger, I don't know what age, if they're under 15, certainly, you know, if they're under 13 or 10 and they're worried about climate change, you know, stop talking about it you know, say, hey, you know what, if if that's there, we should encourage each other to do good. We can. And, you know, biblically speaking, the world's not going to end that way. And that isn't to say that we may not have climate disasters. And you could read in the book of Revelation, the, the bowls that are getting poured out later on, you could read, oh, environmental disaster. And there's certainly a good train of thought that says we brought it upon ourselves. You could make that argument. Fine. But you still have to leave Jesus in charge because no matter what happens, the worst thing that's going to happen is Jesus is going to come back for you. And if you know him, if you know he's the savior, everything's going to be fine. And in this life, you're going to worry about your clothes. You're going to worry about your friendships. You're going to worry about your health. There's so many things to worry about that are right in the middle of your, your world. Do the things that matter. Teach your kids to do chores around the house. You know, it'll teach them responsibility teach your kids not to lie make sure they're in trouble for lying if they're lying teach your kids about friends you ask your kids about their friends you can you can teach so much to kids by asking them is this a good friend or not that's one of our biggest prayers for our kids right now as they start school all new that they would find friends that are good friends that are kind that are um not going to throw them under the bus, that are going to build them up and not tear them down, that that wouldn't rub off on them, that they'd walk away from that person and go find better friends, that they wouldn't worry about popularity or those things, that instead they would just want to be people who are there to enjoy life, enjoy school the most you can. You can't tell a kid to enjoy school. That's not possible, maybe for a kid. For some kids, it is, but for most of us, it isn't. Build your kids up and don't let them worry so much about this world. Don't scare them. Can I just tell you that? This is coming from my heart today, and I know you might have some thoughts about it, and that's okay. We can talk about it. We'll have lots of opportunity to talk about it, but build your kids up. Find out if they're afraid of anything, and love them. You're listening to Southern California Live. I'm Scott Furrier, host. This has been our Monday edition, and uh, it's good to be with you.
0: God bless you. I'll see you later on